Great. Well, it's been amazing so far. Anna and James, thank you so much for braving the Arctic wastes. And it's been, I had a fantastic breakout room. Um, anyway, moving on. I've not got very long. Uh, Two Corinthians has been a really fitting book. Have you got my PowerPoint up, Paul? Great. Okay. Uh, to go through um, during this global pandemic, because 2 Corinthians is all about a church family that has been shaken to its core. Now, we've had some terrific preachers, mainly from the core team, uh, no pun intended, with an Ollie spoke last week, um, uh, and he's actually, I must admit, quite a hard act to follow. Um, I'd encourage you, listen to him again. The, the insights he shared last week were painfully won and sensitively delivered and that's been a pressure on me this week uh, I must admit anyway reflecting on on all the other great two Corinthians preachers I just wanted to take the opportunity to commend all the core team that's Paul Helen Pete Steve Sarah Maria Karen David hope we've got them all there and um, because I live with Paul I've seen how diligently You've all served us throughout the pandemic, despite being no less, uh, no more shielded from its effects rather than any of us. Um, I can honestly say that our, our guys have strained every sinew and sacrificially lavished time and prayer on us all. Now, thankfully, having said all that, we still don't put our leaders on a pedestal. They live among us. We see their strengths, their weaknesses, and we see them wrestling with life's challenges and we don't expect them to have graduated from struggle. We value openness and transparency. We strongly discourage mask wearing, but we also value leaders who exemplify the life of the risen Christ. Paul, my husband, is certainly not on a pedestal. Um, it was his birthday this week and our support bubble came round for a cake. I made his favourite rich fruitcake, but when I decorated it, I must admit, I did it with two small grandchildren in mind. So if you want to put my next slide up, Paul, please. Um, I only had two colours. One wasn't red enough. The other wasn't yellow enough. So we ended up with pink and orange hearts, moons and stars. Garish? Well, anyway. When I showed both my children this cake, down in the States, Elizabeth, um, on, on FaceTime, they fell about laughing so hard they told me it hurt. I was mystified. Between her tears, Elizabeth explained that it was an incredibly undignified cake for a 50-something engineer. And it was so funny that he was literally having to swallow it because I wanted something that would look good for the two and three-year-old grandkids. So there's Logan there, and there's Paul taking one for the team, blowing out the pink candles, as I like to think Jesus would have done. Anyway, getting back to 2 Corinthians. You might want to take the slide down, Paul, it's probably quite painful. Um, its central problem was this fundamental dispute about what it means to exemplify, to display the life of the risen Christ. Putting it another way, what does it mean to be an image bearer? of God and destabilizing influences had profoundly shaken this foundation. And the way this showed itself was that when, when the Apostle Paul suffered intensely for the gospel, many at Corinth dismissed him as being weak, 
In their eyes, he was a somewhat pathetic figure whom they could choose to ignore when it came to the hard teachers he brought, teachings he brought. They did not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And so their perception of what it meant to be an image bearer of God had become deeply flawed. How we see and treat other people, especially when they appear weak, as Ollie was talking about last week, is a really good plumb line for how we see God and our own relationship with him. As we'll see in the passage, Paul found he had to commend himself to the Corinthians, not to boost his own ego, but to remind them, look, guys, this is what matters. Now, <clears throat> for the sake of time, I'm going to read selectively some of 2 Corinthians 12 and 13. Then describe how we can check ourselves out and look inwards to move forwards. So, Paul, if you can put my slide up again. It's a bit crammed um, on the first slide, but perhaps follow it in the Bible instead. So 2 Corinthians 11 verses uh, 12 to, to oh, 12, 11, sorry, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 12 to 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 with some selected highlights. Excuse me. <coughs> the signs of a true apostle you see were performed among you in all patience with signs and wonders and powers. This is Paul speaking. You will imagine we are explaining ourselves again. Well, we're speaking in God's presence in the Messiah. My beloved ones, it has all been intended to build you up. I'm afraid you see that when I come to visit, I may find you rather different from what I would wish. And I may turn out to be rather different from what you would wish. I'm afraid there may still be fighting, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, disorder. I'm afraid that perhaps when I come once more, my God may humble me again in front of you. And I will have to go into mourning over many who sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication and shameless immorality they've practiced. Next slide, please. I said it before when I was with you the second time and I say it now in advance while I'm away from you, to all those who had sinned previously and all the others, that when I come back again, I won't spare them. Since you are looking for proof of the Messiah who speaks in me, the Messiah who's not weak towards you, but powerful in your midst, he was crucified in weakness, you see, but he lives by God's power. For we too are weak in him, but we shall live with him for your benefit by God's power. Test yourselves to see if you really are in the faith. Put yourselves through the exam. Or don't you realise that Jesus, the Messiah, is in you? Unless, that is, you have failed the test. Gosh, strong words. Um, you can take the slide down now, Paul, please. Although Paul founded the church at Corinth and spent 18 months there, in 2 Corinthians, we find very sadly that the church had been destabilised by his opponents. These were travelling teachers, they'd come from the east and they'd sown in arrogance, other harmful thought patterns, and they'd neglected to call out the Corinthians on their attitudes and lifestyles. And they convinced many, Paul is just simply too weak to be an apostle of the risen Christ. Someone who suffered that much must be too flawed to be a reliable leader. 
Now, at the beginning of the series, uh, Paul Callan, it's very confusing all these polls, touched on the prolonged dark night of the soul that the Apostle Paul had gone through, the cumulative effect of intense hardship and particularly opposition he'd faced from his own people, amounted to a, a great trial of suffering that some New Testament scholars suggested he almost didn't survive. However, as we know, praise God, he came through and he came to realise that the deep weakness he felt, the profound self-doubt he'd had to overcome did not disqualify him. They forced him to rely on the power of the spirit just as Jesus did. That persevering reliance and that Christ-likeness were what confirmed his calling. He bore the image of God in the way he had lived through that suffering. And now having come through, his identity lay in that. Now, identity is how we see ourselves and it's how we want others to see us too. We want everyone to give us the benefit of the doubt. Image is how others actually see us. So we want to do all we can to make sure they have the right image. Our identity, our identity seen in the image they have of us. And as Oli said last week, it's very human to want to look good, to project strength. However, we are called to be image bearers of God. Yes, of the powerful risen Christ, but also of the servant whose sufferings achieved the outcome of the cross. The Lion King and the sacrificial lamb rolled into one. Because Paul's identity was Jesus's strength is made perfect in my weakness. He could not project that worldly success the Corinthians thought super apostles should display. The problem for Paul was that the values of these people looking at his life were at odds with the kingdom. <clears throat> They'd forgotten Jesus had accomplished everything through the weakness of coming as a man, dying on the cross. So the image they had of Paul was sharply at odds with his identity, the way he saw himself as an image bearer of the risen Christ. And this would not have been the case if they were also acting as image bearers of the risen Christ, if they valued what God valued. Something had to change if these two things could come into alignment. So when Paul commends himself, he's not doing it to make himself feel good. He's secure in his hard fought identity, hard won identity. He's doing it to paint a picture to them of what it means to be an image bearer, a faithful representation of the servant God who bled and died for us. Uh, N.T. Wright, one of Paul's favourite uh, New Testament scholars, favourite people, in fact, he shook his hand in London just before the first lockdown. It was a, a lifetime moment. Way! He said, Isaiah's vision of the servant who would bring God's light to the Gentiles and of the troubles that this servant would have to undergo, including doubts about whether his work was actually doing any good at all. This was Paul's constant companion, this vision. This was one of the things that made Paul tick. Not only is Paul physically and emotionally battered in 2 Corinthians, 
N.T. Wright goes on to say, he doesn't mind if the Corinthians know it. That in a world where leaders were supposed to be socially responsible, exemplary, exemplary characters is exactly the point. He, he knew he wasn't looking like how they wanted him to look like. The cake didn't look right, if you like. Now, rejecting Paul means rejecting Jesus himself because the way Paul lived, his ministry and his message are one. Hence, his, new ch his challenge in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, which Paul, if you can just put that up again, please. He said, examine yourselves. Sorry, I was saying, oh, you're doing it, great. <laughs> examine yourselves test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith do you not realize Christ Jesus is in you unless of course you've failed the test so that can come down again how is this relevant to us though uh, that's the key thing isn't it our church family uh, well we like at Corinth have also experienced massive destabilizing influences as I said, for them, it was seductive, partial truths that skewed the church away from the purity of Paul's gospel. They attacked the very foundations of truth and they replaced these with the values of the world. What mattered was looking good, being successful, displaying strength. For us right now, it's a global pandemic that the necessary restrictions we're all living under, the uncertainty about when pressures will lift, some people have experienced almost indescribable loss of loved ones, the loss of financial security, their own health, perhaps if they're living with long COVID, the list is endless really. Others have had their relatively tidy lives turned completely upside down because of homeschooling and homeworking both at the same time. And when life circumstances get majorly ruffled, it's easy for our minds, our sense of well-being, even, dare I say it, our faith to get ruffled too. So it is actually a really good principle for us to test ourselves and say, am I in the faith? In 1 Timothy 4 verse 16, Paul says, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them. If you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. But what does that mean in practice? Well, it would take a really long time to unpack the issue of doctrine. Although, new slide please, Paul. Lots of people are finding, is he doing it? Yeah, lots of people are finding the TLS series on the King's Church website, very helpful. Bit of a plug there for some really in-depth teaching on all sorts of live issues. And uh, yes, yeah, so doctrine, go there for doctrine. I'm not even attempted here. I'm just going to focus on one incredibly important aspect of our lives. If you can bear to take that slide down, Paul, now, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> that aspect is, is our relationships. So, yeah, code is a ghastly, invisible enemy, which is profoundly affecting our humanity. Hence, it will have to bow the knee to Jesus. But in the meantime... Not being able to see people properly, even when we're face to face because of masks and distance. Not being able to give them a hug, take their metaphorical temperature and, and get a sense of how they're really doing. All these really affect our relationships. Now, my job is, is fairly compatible with the restrictions. But like everyone else, I have found myself fraying at the edges, stretched 
by the need to do everything on a screen when when I actually get energy and a more accurate sense of who I am from being with other people that's kind of my personality not everyone's like that um and I felt challenged in, in my relationships to keep seeing people in the round rather than as little tiny pictures on a screen and and I, I love Nathan and Becca's 12 zooms of King's Church um on the first Zoom of King's Church, Paul Callan gave to me lots of tiny friends on TV. If you remember, my, I think my favourite moment of the, of the meeting uh, just before Christmas. But there can be a real thinness in how we relate to people when they are just little itty bitty on a screen. Um, Karen came round, as she did to many people, with the first treat parcel in, in, in the first lockdown. And I felt this strange, well, not that strange, a strong, spontaneous rush of affection for her, Karen, if you're there, which I simply hadn't felt just from looking at her on a Sunday Zoom call, which I hope you'll take that as the compliment uh, it's meant. Now, there is a remedy for this thinness, even in the midst of restrictions. So last week, Paul encouraged us by to text, to send WhatsApp messages, catch up with people by phone. Thankfully, we can still go for walks with people. Let's make our love for people fat again, uh, because God inhabits the love we have for each other. And if that understandably goes a bit awry, that actually can affect how we see God and our perception of what it means to be like him, what it means to be his image bearers. I've got a, a scripture for that on the next slide. 1 John 4, verses 10 to 12. Thanks, Paul. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice that would atone for our sins. But beloved, if that's how God loved us, we ought to love one another in the same way. Nobody has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is completed in us. Now, going back to Paul and the Corinthians, the destabilizing influences on that church family brought out their worst excesses. Their love for Paul, who'd founded the church, had been curdled by people who dismissed all he stood for because he didn't look outwardly successful. They couldn't see beyond his weakness. They didn't see him in the round. They couldn't see what he was going through from an eternal, godly perspective. And Paul called this out, as I said, because the way they viewed his weakness, the way they treated him, said everything about their own standing with God. And the way we handle our own and each other's weaknesses can also be very revealing about our relationship with God. So returning to the need to test ourselves. Um, and Paul, I think you can put my next slide up here now, please. Um, we can do this by looking at how we relate to ourselves, each other and to God when we encounter weakness. Most importantly, we need to look beyond the surface, the inappropriate icing, you can still see plenty of, to the rich fruit being developed within our lives. Paul saw beyond that ghastly cake. He knew his rich fruit cake was in there. And that's what we're after, the fruit. And there are three common C's. In the way we can relate to each other and, and, and even into, into ourselves. Firstly, weakness in ourselves and others can easily produce criticism 
put my hand up here. We can even write people off as the Corinthians did to Paul. This is especially easy to do when weakness is actually wrongdoing and there is no excusing or justifying it. However, we can also do it when someone's life have gone, has gone completely pear-shaped through no fault of their own and they don't seem to be coping very well at all. And Ollie explained that a bit last week. Many trials are like this. God allows them to happen so we develop a whole new level of dependency on him. But in the meantime, we kind of flail around a bit, or rather a lot, and it is not very pretty. Um, once I got what I thought was my dream job, it's going to be a key stepping stone to something I felt destined to do, and I gave it everything. But no matter what I did, I was criticised by the person I worked for. And I began to feel that the, the, the weaknesses being exposed in the situation, some of which were induced by the criticism, not all, I did, you know, I did need to change, we all do, but I felt that they defined me as a person and they felt completely irredeemable. I felt a complete failure. It was a, it was a very dark period in my life. Criticism did nothing to help me in my weaknesses. And it also exposed the value system of the person I was working for. In fact, when he decided I was never going to suit this job and he, he wanted he said, I want to let you go, he, he actually said I had too much integrity to fit in. Now, to be honest, I was so emotionally roughed up that even that felt like a criticism. I felt, oh, I'm not adaptable enough. Anyway, you just get into a turmoil. Now, criticism can be rooted in a, in a false perception that, of God, frankly, that those who love him, who obey him, and who are his image bearers will invariably be outwardly successful almost as a sign of his approval it sounds a bit extreme but but we can have that deep down the second c is we can collude um with the, with ourselves and with people who are suffering and going through trials we can we can tell them ourselves we don't deserve this it's not your fault you're a victim of somebody or some circumstance and just just simply pour in sympathy um i, I hope chris doesn't mind me mentioning again that to her huge credit, uh, she admitted during lockdown one when she spoke recently that she was eating more chocolate. And perhaps she was saying to herself, I deserve this, life is pretty tough right now. Um, and uh, an, an innocuous example, um, and Sarah, I was so impressed with your, your vulnerability and please don't misunderstand me. It is important to be kind to ourselves and, our, and, and others when times are tough. But we have to go beyond just telling ourselves and others what we what we think they want to hear, because this can betray a sense that God's actually pretty powerless. He isn't working in and through their situation. And the pandemic pandemic can make us feel a bit like we're all at its mercy when actually God is not restricted in outworking his purposes in someone's life. The best thing we can do is there's a bit of a bit of a, you know, a bit contrived it's another c but you'll see why is we can encourage um and that's defined as inspire with courage spirit or hope and that's how we 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 kind of automatically respond when our values are aligned with a hope-filled view of god when we understand that god is a specialist in taking people through dark times which aren't all or even partly their fault he excels in infusing 
a person's life with gold refined in the fire. And in his toughest times, King David in the Old Testament encouraged himself in God. And, and Andrew Hulley told us two or three years ago that the Hebrew word for this was, was hazak. It's a great word, isn't it? And he encouraged us to hazak ourselves, encourage ourselves in God. And when, I'm, uh, when I have a challenging work deadline, and this week has been particularly challenging, I will literally go around the house saying, come on, Samantha. Sorry if that's been a bit loud. Um, and it can actually be quite startling for, for those I live with suddenly out of nowhere, especially when I'm just passing Paul's office and he might be on a Zoom call. Anyway, let's not think about it. Finally, well, what about our relationship with God? Well, I have to confess, I have experienced many very strong emotions <laughs> during this pandemic. And, and some of them have been rogue and unhelpful and not at all Christ-like. Um, I've been tempted to feel self-critical or self-justified and to collude with them. We can all have dud feelings and thoughts and, and what matters is, is what we do about them. We have to remind ourselves of the truth, where our real passions, where our, where our real, the, the real richness of our feeling lies. And, and uh, Paul, if you just want to put the, the next slide up, please. One thing I found incredibly helpful to get myself back onto an even keel is this short bridge, which I'm going to sing oh, now. Um, would it be really easy to ask Anna to sing it beautifully? but it would put extra burden and I know it's gonna sound ropey, but ropey is how I feel when I, I need to remind, remind myself of its truth. So it kind of fits that it's a bit ropey. So I feel very free to sing along and drown me out. <clears throat> you are the passion of my life, Lord Jesus. You are the song within my soul, my strength, my hope, my all in all is you, Jesus, you. You are the passion of my life, Lord Jesus. You are the song within my soul, my strength, my hope, my all in all is you, Jesus, you. Etc. <laughs> I sing it a lot. <laughs> um, and it reminds me, no matter what the rogue feelings, I know, he knows, he is the passion of my life. And, and just to summarise, as we say, coming into land, there you go, Nathan Becca, tick it off on the bingo sheet. In the cut and thrust of life, especially when something very destabilising is going on, it is possible inadvertently to, to leave fundamental truths behind or for our values to shift. So we, we unduly pamper ourselves or, and others, or we treat them harshly, critically, or even competitively. Now, our relationship with God is so bound up with how we treat others. Um, if we despise uh, people for their weaknesses or only agree that life is pretty darned terrible, this can reveal a skewing of our values away from those of the kingdom and towards the principles people who don't know Jesus live by and they don't work frankly. Um, so let's actively re-establish Jesus as our first love. He is the passion of our lives 
and let this truth in, infuse everything we do and everything we are. Thank you. <laughs>